Hello there, welcome to Manny Fight Club. I'm your host, Manny G. I'm here to break down PFL Challenger Series number four, El Cuatro Cuatro, 2023, coming up on the 17th of February with a 9 p.m. Eastern start time. That's gonna be on a Friday. A nice little appetizer to the UFC event on Saturday. So week four is gonna be all lightweights, four total bouts. For those that are new to the Challenger Series for PFL, it's very similar to the Dan Tennis Series. I emphasize the words similar. <laughs> it's not just like it, different kind of a format, but kind of cool. It's a chance for these guys to earn a contract, get into the PFL. We'll have eight total fighters competing for one contract. Main event's going to be Elvin Espinosa versus Damir Farhat Begovic. Next fight's going to be Monel Sosa, also pronounced Manuel Sosa, versus Paulo Enrique, two Brazilian fighters. Then we got Tony Caruso, the Australian, versus Anthony Romero from Canada. Then Charlie Decca, American, versus Jose Aguayo, another American fighter. Four total fights. We'll give you the full breakdown. We feel like a few guys on this card have a better chance of getting that contract than others. We'll point this out for you as we go throughout the, the breakdown. If you watch PFL number one, two, and three the last three weeks, you kind of see what the format is. There's a fan vote aspect. There's a celebrity panel aspect. And then if there's a tie between those two aspects, then we get the CEO walking in and sort of making the tiebreaker, which has happened first two weeks. I'm not sure about week three yet because it's being recorded before week three even happened. So we'll see what happens in that uh, episode. With all that said, guys, we'll get the full breakdown here, one fight at a time. No lines are available at the time of this breakdown, so forgive me on that. I don't have lines available, but I'll do the best I can to steer you in the right direction and give you some background each of the fighters. With that said, guys, let's get it. Here we go. All right, first fight in the card should be Jose Aguayo versus Charlie Decca. And I say should be because this is being recorded like a week and a half before the event. And we know with PFL, things get moved around last minute. So hopefully this will be the opening bout. A lightweight bout, of course, as they all are lightweight bouts. I'll give you the pick right now to get out of the way. Charlie Decca, who goes by the bull. We like him by decision. May not be the prettiest fight in the world. He has a bit of an ugly fighting style, but it works for him. And we like him to win the fight by decision. This will be a funny breakdown. There's some things about this breakdown you're going to listen to because when you go into film study, and this is for all the people out there who do film study, whether you're a capper or just a casual fan just likes to watch some former film of fighters to make a good educated bet. Well, when you go deep diving on film, you start seeing stuff on film that you'll never see in UFC, never see in Bellator stuff. You don't see. And this fight here, we have a moment that um, I'm going to have to include it on our Sunday show for the funniest things that I saw from the week in mixed martial arts. And we'll talk about it when we get to it. Let's go over the particulars first. Mr. Decca, who goes by the bull three, two and one overall. He's 2-2-1 two, two in his last five fights. Bit inconsistent, based out of Miami, Florida. 28 years old, 5'8 in height. That sounds about right. His topology photo doesn't really do him justice in terms of his physique. Like you see his traps in his topology photo. This guy is very thick. Um, not fat, just you know, thick everywhere. That's just the way he's built. And so he tends to be the shorter, stockier fighter in most of his fights. And he will be the shorter fighter in this matchup. Tapology says that Jose is about 5'10". It makes sense. Jose is a much longer fighter. He's 31 years old. Also an American fighter out of Stockton. Hailing from Stockton, California. He's 3-2 in his last five fights. 5-2 overall. Does have some amateur experience, which we'll talk about. And again, we'll have a 2-inch to 3-inch height advantage. And he's out of Caesar Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. Mm. Good gym. We don't have a gym here listed for DECA, but I have to. No, we do. We do. DECA's training out of ATT in Miami with the likes of like Jorge Masvid on those guys. And he's got a pretty close relationship with Jorge, which we'll talk about in a second. All right, let's go to the right up here on these two guys. So Deca by decision is the prediction. Deca has an interesting fighter background. So let's get to it. 
He fought in the Jorge Masvidal's bare knuckle MMA league. Excuse me. You think of bare knuckle as bare knuckle boxing. Well, when you're talking about the bare knuckle league for Jorge Masvidal, it's called the Game Bread Promotion, whatever. That's bare knuckle mixed martial arts. So he won that fight by submission. When I first saw it, I'm like, how can you win a bare knuckle fight by a submission? They don't even allow submissions. Clearly in that organization, it's bare knuckle mixed martial arts. He wins the fight by submission. Let's talk about the fight though. Super funny. What ends up happening is he's winning the fight clearly. Charlie Decker, that is. He's beaten some guy named uh, Bobby Taylor. It's at the midway to end point of round two. He's beating the guy up. The guy's getting tired. He's on the ground. Charlie's got, you know, sort of like a top control. He's starting to stand up. And this guy's clearly grounded. <laughs> and then Bobby Taylor's clearly got a knee down. And you see Charlie Decker, low fighter IQ moment. Just sets up and throws the nastiest knee, right forehead, hits the guy. The guy, Bobby Taylor, was a good sport about it. Ends up still continuing the fight after a few minutes of uh, like intermission to get this guy back. His wits about him. But here's the hilarious part, guys. You see, Charlie Decca was on a one-day notice for this fight. He lives, I guess, in Florida, Miami particularly, in a house that's owned by Mr. Jorge Masvidal. Like maybe lives actually in his house with him type of thing. So Jorge was like, listen, dude, I'm helping you out. I'm helping to sponsor, you know, your early part of your mixed martial arts career. I need a replacement. I need you to come in here one day's notice. Get in there. Let's go. So Deca's like, no problem, boss. I'll be there. So all is going well until he decides to throw this dumb, silly knee, an illegal knee. We're going to get to this again because it's, it's, it's a common theme with this guy. Throws the knee, hits the knee. And don't you know, I'm watching this, you know, on YouTube, whatever, Game Bread Promotions, 11,000 subscribers, small time channel, whatever. And I look there closely and I'm like, holy shit, Game Bread's sitting right there. Jorge's sitting right at that part of the cage, like literally inches away from when this knee happens. He immediately looks up at Charlie and he's like, what are you, what are you doing? Like, and you see that it's not, he's not yelling at Charlie, but you can see based upon the body language and the look on Jorge Masvidal's face, he's like, dude. He's like signaling, like he was clearly down. Why were you, why would you throw that knee? It was like, what, what an idiot. So we get a few minutes go by and the fight resumes and Deca goes on to win the fight, Charlie that is, in the third round or second round by a submission. He just wears down this guy, Bobby Taylor. But let's talk about this legal knee for a second. Look at his tapology. Because if you go to his tapology, his last fight against Shimon Smatryski, which was just last year, 2022, December, like it just happened at Icon FC6. I can't find the film. He lost a fight. You know how? A legal knee. <laughs> a legal knee. So in the course of two of his last three fights, he fought Shimon Smitritsky, Devin Dixon, and Bobby Taylor. And his last three fights was the three guys he fought. Two of those three fights, he threw an illegal knee. And in that bare knuckle fight with Gamebred, he got a point taken away from him. In the fight against Shimon Smitritsky, I guess it was bad enough. Or I, didn't, I couldn't see it. I couldn't find the film on it, but he lost. Big red flags there. For my man, when it comes to just, you know, making good decisions in the octagon. So, yeah, got that off my chest. Charlie does a great job of wrestling, though. Wrestling is his thing. Striking-wise, eh, you know, not not great. Gets a little bit wild. Big looping punches. If they land, great. He tends to ball up and turn away when he's under attack with strikes. But he'll wrestle. He'll go back to wrestling. He'll keep going with wrestling. He'll drag on you. He'll wear on you. In this matchup here against Jose Aguayo, I believe he's going to have the power, strength, stocky leverage all those advantages and i think he takes the fight to the ground at least for the first two rounds wins this fight pretty easily by decision should be he should <laughs> as for mr aguayo 
He's also got a bit of an interesting resume. You can't help but notice the first thing that pops out is he fought Corey Hansagen, ba- Sanhagen, back in LFA. LFA, very good promotion. Corey Sanhagen, obviously the UFC, good fighter, good experience. That was back in 2018. So on one hand, you're like, oh, good experience, UFC fighter, check the boxes. On the other hand, he got knocked out in round one <laughs> by Corey Sanhagen. And Corey Sanhagen is really not known as being the kind of guy who's knocking people out. So from that standpoint, it was a glass half full, glass half empty type of situation. So his other fights, there's a lot of film on him. You can see him fight. He fought in a Northern Iowa promotion. He's still fighting that promotion now, I believe, except for this opportunity. Very small promotion, lower level fighters. He's a long guy, not much power behind his punches. He fights an orthodox stance, gets a little sloppy at times. And that was the thing that really popped out to me. I'm like, man, he gets sloppy and starts swinging punches like he's got a bunch of power. And I'm like, you don't have much power, dude. Like you got a very lean frame. So this ends up being like this. Here's how it's going to play out. He's going to lean in and try to throw one of those punches. He's going to miss. And then Charlie's going to be shorter and stockier. He's going to go after the takedown, take him down, lay on him, wear him out. Ugly two and a half to three rounds. Easy decision here for Charlie Decca. Not enough to get the contract. Not enough for that. But probably enough to just get the win here. For Jose Aguayo, I quite honestly, I just say this with well, with all, due respect, all due respect, okay? All due respect for Mr. Aguayo. This is a big step up in competition, and I just don't see him having the technical tools to win this fight. He may be the longer fighter, but his striking technique is not great, and he, he lacks power, and he obviously doesn't have much experience. The fight against Corey Sanhagen being the only outlier, right? So a lot of concerns here for my man, Jose Aguayo. I think he's going to just get out-wrestled, out-grappled, and eventually lose the fight by a decision. For Mr. Charlie Deck, uh, I'm not sure what's going on with this guy. You know, he's got a relationship with Jorge Masvidal. Masvidal is doing a lot of big things. So is this, you know, Masvidal maybe making a phone call to PFL, pulling a favor? This is being held in Orlando, you know, not too far from Miami, for those who know the landscape of Florida. I don't know. I don't know how this all works out. My last thoughts in this fight. PFL is doing the best they can to have their own version of Contender Series. Got it. Okay, cool. Nothing wrong with trying. But man, some of these fighters they're bringing in for this contender series, they're low level. And this is a prime example because a guy like 3-2-1, Charlie Decca, you know, he would never sniff, let's say, contender series or something at a higher level. And maybe he never does. He's still young. Who knows? But here's what we're talking about here. And I've mentioned it before. I'm going to triple down on this now. The books like DraftKings and FanDuel has not offered PFL Challenger Series now almost three weeks in a row. If you're in New York, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, the Northeast, where there's like, that's the main hub of gambling, at least on the East Coast side, not, not talking about Cali, Nevada, no no lines available. Can't even bet on it. So I'm using like Five Dimes, and Betway, Bet365, other different outlets, but not the ones that I like to usually use. Is that an indication that the main books are like, listen, we, we don't want to cover this. It's just, it's just too amateur level. We could barely call it professional. The backgrounds are just, all over the place. We just don't feel comfortable offering lines. So I'm just putting it out there. This fight is indicative of that. Just putting a bow on this thing, though. We're going to go with Charlie Decca to win the fight by decision. That's your prediction. Let's move on. All right. Next fight's going to be Tony Caruso, who goes by the Spartan, versus Anthony Romero, who goes by the Genius. Again, lightweight fight. All the fights in the card are lightweight fights. I'll give you the pick real quickly to get out of the way. I'd like Romero to win the fight by decision. Full disclosure, when you break down this fight, a lot of film out there. Good reasons to like both guys, but based upon our analysis, we're going to go with Anthony Romero to win the fight by decision. Now, particulars in these two guys. For Tony Caruso, now Tony is usually short for Anthony, right? 
So we got two Anthonys here, but one goes by Tony, one goes by Anthony. All right. So for Mr. Caruso, who goes by the Spartan, 8-1 overall, 4-1 his last five fights, hails from Australia, down under, 32 years old, 6 foot in height with a 72 inch reach, and he's out of hard knocks, 365. Very good gym. As for Mr. Romero, goes by the genius, 11-1-0 overall. It's not O, it's 11-1-0. I had a math teacher back in the day who corrected me on this when I was like in middle school. And to this day, it always stayed with me that when you say the number zero, it's zero. It's not an O. O is a letter. <laughs> anyway, 11-1-0 overall, 4-1 his last five fights, hailing from Canada, so a little closer to home, 25 years old in 11 months, 5-11 in height, 70-inch reach, trades out of Niagara Top Team, also does some training out of Agus MMA and Genius Fitness MMA. Both these guys come out of pretty good gyms. Hard Knocks, good gym. Niagara, good gym. About the same height, 5'11", 6 foot. Reach-wise, a small advantage there for Tony Caruso. Don't know the reach is going to be a big factor, though, in this fight. As we break it down, I'll kind of explain it to you. On Tapology, it looks like Romero's the favorite, getting 82% of the votes, only 18% coming in for Caruso. <clears throat> That's a bit of a surprise. We'll talk more about it as, as to why I think it's a wise surprise, but uh, I would imagine it would be a little closer. Okay, so, again, lightweight bout, smaller, less finish rate for this division, right? We'd like Romero to win the fight by decision. And though Romero comes into this fight off of an exciting flying knee finish in his last fight, most people know that it's on Tapology that film's out there. Watch the fight. Uh, it's not like it's a lucky flying knee. It's just a situation that's... Let me bring up an example. Remember years ago when this guy Masvidal, Jorge Masvidal, had the flying knee with Ben Askren? To this day, like his entire career took a different trajectory because of that moment. And, you know, we could dissect that moment, but there was some good fortune there and a fighter that really <laughs> wasn't quite ready. Anyway, so last fight, he executes a flying knee. It's very impressive. It looks good, but got to put it in context. I don't think that's going to happen this fight. For Caruso, he has two fights in one championship. So here we go. Looking at Caruso's background and resume, that's impressive. If you don't know anything about one championships, let me just give you a little tidbit about them. They signed a huge-ass deal with Amazon last year to have Prime on one. It's 22 events. Is it 22 events throughout the entire year? That seems a little excessive. It's a lot. It's like 15 or so. But they have a new contract with Amazon. They pay very well. Uh, they even pay better in, in some areas than some of the top promotions that you think of like Bellator UFC. If you had to rank one championship in the entire global landscape of mixed martial arts, not boxing promotions, not all combat promotions, but the MMA world, so UFC, Bellator, I think one has to be arguably in the top four or five. Like who's in front of them? Bellator, UFC, um, and then you're talking about, yeah, like Ryzen maybe, you know, KSW, Cage Warriors. It's like, you know, they're in the mix there. So I do have a lot of respect for people that have fought in that promotion. He's got two fights in a promotion. He went one and one in those two fights. Caruso has a relentless wrestling pace and average cardio. Cardio's not amazing. We'll talk more about that. But the wrestling's pretty good. In his last fight, for example, starts off very strong. But then late in the fight, starts to slow down considerably in round three. And that is going to be a highlight of my concern here for Caruso. And I believe the reason why I'm not choosing him is because of the late round cardio. Caruso likes to scrape his opponents to the ground. So he won't get a lot of early full takedowns, not clean takedowns. But he'll lean on you. He'll drag on you. And he'll frustrate opponents with this continuous leaning, dragging, not getting takedowns, but just leaning on you, eating up time, chewing up the clock. Footnote for you. PFL tends to break up uh, these grappling situations against the fence much quicker than some promotions. So if that happens, look for the referee to step in and maybe break it up if nothing's actually going on. He also has satisfactory submission skills. Remember when you were in grade school and you had like 
excellent, satisfactory, unsatisfactory. He has satisfactory submission skills, meaning that he probably could submit me and you. In the octagon against better fighters, you know, it's one of those things where it's it's a give and take. I'm not sold quite yet, but he does have some submission skills. The big concerns we have for Caruso are the lack of activity. We didn't mention that. It's been off since 2020. Yeah, last fight was in 2020 for mixed martial arts. When you go on Tapology, you see he had a boxing match last year, but been almost three years he's been out of there. And the second issue we have is the fatigue in the later rounds, right? Um, along with striking. We're going to bring this up in a second, but fatigue in the later rounds, big layoff, then striking technique, okay? So he did do a boxing match last year, hasn't been completely inactive, right? And for a guy who's got boxing in his background, here's where I have to talk about the striking technique. He throws from the hip, He's a bit of a wild swinger, and when he goes forward and he really puts the heat on his opponent, he just lets loose, a bit reckless, and I'm like, damn, this guy has a boxing resume, but I guess the boxing is uh, doesn't transfer over to the cage, <laughs> and he just starts swinging for the clouds. With that said, he does have a lot of power in his hands. If he connects on one of those hooks, uh, he's done some damage and he's dropped some of his opponents, you know what I mean? And in terms of his um, athleticism, I think he's a pretty good overall athlete. He's fairly quick when he's not tired. But needs to be careful late in the fight. I have big concerns about him after round two. In prior fights, he looked good in round one, round two, and slowed down considerably late in the fight. <clears throat> okay, as for Romero, the Canadian kickboxer. Very well-rounded. Valuable amateur experience. He went 9-1 as an amateur, so he's got 10 fights there as an amateur. That's valuable for young guys who are in Challenger Series, right? He fought in Fury FC, which is a very good promotion out of Texas. His only pro defeat was against J.J. Okanovich. And I bring up the name J.J. Okunovich because J.J. Was, is 4-0 in Bellator, currently 4-0 in Bellator. He's 8-3 overall, had a win on Contender Series back in 2019. Unfortunately, by decision, didn't get a contract. But that was a good opponent to sort of give us a measure for where Romero's at. And Romero lost to this guy, J.J. Okunovich, by split decision. So, kind of again, just gives us a measure of the skill set. With 21 total mixed martial artist fights under his resume, for Romero that is, between amateur and pro, he does only have six finishes. So finishing ability, not his forte. Again, look back to his last fight. He has a flying knee finish. You're thinking, you know, no, it's it's not really part of his arsenal. That last fight, I think, was just in a vacuum. That's just my opinion, okay? He can be a little too patient at times. This is one of my big criticisms of him. He will look for the perfect punch. And if you go back to his last fight when he fought Ken Glenn, he gets a knockout round two. On paper, you're seeing flying knee, knockout round two. Let me tell you how the fight went. He lost round one, probably was losing round two before the knockout. And it wasn't because he was getting beat up, just too patient, backing up, letting the other guy come forward. If he brings the, let's say, unrealistic confidence of his last fight into this fight, thinking, oh, I, I'm okay, I got 15 minutes to execute the flying knee. Sometimes that confidence and getting a knockout like that can negatively impact the mindset of a young fighter. Now, it could also possibly impact him, too. He can come in here and get another knockout and, you know, start a streak. It also can be, like I said, false confidence. They can, oh, I can be patient. I can wait. Again, he did the last fight, and he was losing that fight. Gets a fortunate knockout to turn things around and win, but just too patient for my liking. And by being patient, the volume goes down, so on and so on and so on. He has wrestling skills. That's another thing about Romero. He just doesn't use them. He will abandon his wrestling for long periods of time, again, not a smart IQ move on his part. I think he should incorporate a balanced approach, use some wrestling. In this matchup, he won't have to try to wrestle. He's going to be forced to wrestle against Caruso, against maybe defensive wrestling. But the point is he'll be forced to wrestle, right, whether he likes it or not. And the last thing I want to say here about Romero, he is a bit hittable and lacks, you know, like head movement quickness. You can have head movement, but if it's not quick, 
His hands are open, so he's hittable. That's a concern because Caruso does have a violent set of hooks. Left hook, left hook or right hook in close. He swings with reckless abandon. It's not very accurate. I saw him knock somebody down and didn't even realize he didn't even know he knocked the guy down because he didn't even see his hand hit the guy's head. <laughs> so that's kind of an idea with Caruso. Like he's swinging like, Argh! you know, anyway, um, this fight based upon my notes here, I'm looking at my notes. It might be the closest fight on the entire card. So we've got only four fights in total, not a ton of fights, but these guys are closely matched. A lot of experience, more experience than most fighters in the contender series. Uh, contender series, challenger series. And so from that standpoint, I, I understand people who are leading either way. We're leaning towards Romero because he has the better strength of schedule, superior striking, and we're concerned about Caruso's long layoff. You know, that's just an obvious standpoint. Long layoff, long layoff, a little bit of cardio. You know, those are just some red flags for us. Romero on the money line. Fight goes over two and a half rounds. And Romero by decision, the prop bets we'll be looking at. It's unlikely we'll be seeing a traditional KO here. I just don't see one of these guys knocking each other out. They have some finishes on their resume. But when you look at their resumes closely, they're not known as high finish rate type of guys. Now, there's the outside chance of two ways I can see the fight finishing. One, Caruso does land one of the bombs and gets himself a knockout. Good for him. Or two, Caruso gets so tired late in the fight and just starts to break down to the point where we get a TKO that's more of a fatigue TKO and not a traditional TKO. That's your breakdown here for this fight. And again, we're going with my man, Anthony Romero from Canada to win the fight by decision. Okay, next up, we've got a lightweight bout. They're all lightweight bouts, right? <laughs> 155 pounders. Manel, which sounds like Manuel, but it's spelled M-A-N-O-E-L on tapology. Manel Sosa versus Paulo Enrique. And for this fight, we've got a undefeated fighter in Sosa versus more of the veteran here in Paulo, who's a little bit older, more fight experience. We like Manel Sosa to win, and it's for several reasons. You know, good good technique. There's some good things he does, grappling, whatever else. But just the narrative. You know, the PFL is all about the narrative. Do not get it twisted. He fits the bill. And if we're talking about let's say maybe two or three fighters in the car that we think the PFL has their eye on. This guy is one of them. You can count on it. So like Sosa here to win the fight. If he doesn't win by a submission slash ground and pound situation, it'll be by decision. Unfortunately, by decision may not cut it. So we have to consider that. So again, our pick is Sosa to win the fight. Most likely by decision. As for their details, Sosa's 9-0 overall, 5-0 in his last five fights from Brazil, specifically Sao Paulo, Brazil. Had a good friend in college who was from Sao Paulo. 25 years old, 5'9 in height with a 68.5 or 68.9 inch reach, so more or less 69 inch reach. He trains out of Academia Octogono, which I would imagine is means octagon in Portuguese down in the land of Brasilia. He's up against one of his cousins. Well, not his cousin, but you get the idea. Another Brazilian, Paulo Enrique. Enrique goes by Laia. He's 14 and five overall, three into his last five fights. He's from Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, which <clears throat> is the main city of Brazil, their capital city probably. But Sao Paulo is like their second biggest one. So it's two biggest cities. It would be like Los Angeles and New York City or like New York City and Miami, that kind of comparison. So he's from Rio de Janeiro. 
He's about to be 31 years old, so about six years older. Not much older, not too old by any means, but when we're talking about who's the fresher prospect, who's the one who has the youth advantage, that would be Sosa. And Paul's listed at six foot, and he is he is the taller fighter. Having watched him in the film, no question, taller, longer. He'll have the reach advantage, the height advantage, whereas Sosa will have the, you know, grappling strength core, you know, core strength advantage. And for Paulo, he trains out of RD champions. So looking at their background with Sosa, the first thing that pops out to you is impressive topology, like. Tons of finishes, specifically by submission. I think with him, submission is where he excels. He has powerful punches, yes, no question. But he overpunches. They're very powerful strikes. It's it's looping punches. They're coming from the hip. Excuse me. If they land, great, right? <laughs> if they don't, not so much. He fought in CFFC, which is a, a very good promotion. We're talking about promotions in North America. I'm talking all North America, Mexico, the States, Canada. CFFC is one of the best of the best. They're more regional, like Ohio to New York to New Jersey, that area. But a lot of fighters from their promotion have moved on to the UFC. So good promotion. He also has amateur experience. That matters because we're talking about just a handful of fights here, right? in terms of the caliber of each fighter. So he does have amateur experience, very high finish rate, six knockouts, three submissions. <clears throat> Excuse me. He's also finished two of his three amateur fights. So the guy has the ability to finish fights. You like that. That's always important because in this scenario here, it's winning the fight, step one. Step two, winning the fight in a fashion that's impressive enough to get the contract. So he has at least the tools in the tool bag to make make it happen, right? Heavy wrestler. He is a very determined wrestler. That's the best way to put it, right? So if he doesn't get the wrestling takedown right away, if he gets staled on the feet or stalemate, whatever, stalemate, I just mixed a bunch of words at the same time. <laughs> My apologies. But if he cannot get the takedown right away, he'll stick with it. He'll keep trying. You like that about his fighting style. He's determined. He likes dirty boxing, so up against the fence. Push his opponent up against the fence. Elbows, <clears throat> small uppercuts. Looking for the takedown ultimately is the goal. He's a power puncher. He's not a jabber. Imagine how like Mike Tyson fought. Mike Tyson was not a like, you know, swift jab, jab, you know, come back to technique, jab. Like, no, Mike Tyson was a dip, rip, and huge power punch he doesn't do the dipping ripping part but he's a power puncher that's where he can be dangerous against anyone if he connects one of those shots it, it it's gonna hurt at the same time they're not very accurate i wouldn't count on it that's more of like a ko or bust type of scenario but he does have ko power in his hands he does throw with a lot of power maybe the best quality about him i noticed on film survival skills i watched him get cracked i can't remember what fight it was but he got totally cracked like you know wobbling legs are and he grabbed he you know if you're a boxer it's it's hugging right they call it hugging and boxing so you get hurt in the feet you, you know you grab the guy you try to recover in mixed martial arts it would be some version of the hugging 
and or and or grappling or if you're hurt just laying on your back on the ground trying to recover like welcoming the guard some guys have it and some guys and gals have it and some don't we noticed on film with him specifically if he does get hurt if he does get cracked his survival skills and instincts are he checks that box so very good now what are our concerns here for mr manel sosa striking defense he is very hittable at times guards open leans back you know doesn't have the fastest set of instincts when it comes to avoiding punches so he's very hittable on the feet he's also a bit one-dimensional he requires success on the ground to win fights if he can't get the fight to the ground he probably doesn't win the fight punto as they say in spanish or period the striking we talked about like throwing from the hip very wide strikes leaves him off balance can leave him in a situation where he'd be either taken down or countered and then footwork I'm going to be very critical here. I know I'm talking about maybe one or two scenarios in all the fights I watched of him, but his feet sometimes end up being a little crisscrossed, off balance, falls down. If he fought, let's say, a good grappler, submission type of fighter, he falls down, gets up his back, costs him around. He comes off to me as someone who has the footwork that can be, you know, it could happen. <laughs> Put it that way. For Enrique... Here's the problem. It's the it's the script. He's 14 and 5. More fights, more experience, older, taller. Okay, not a bad thing. But the PFL does this. You see the PFL's putting up a guy like Sosa who we just talked about. We gave you all the pros and the cons on him. Against a guy like Enrique who doesn't really have a chance to beat him. And we're now starting to pick up on what the PFL is doing. They're making their matchups in a way where they don't want to necessarily see who's going to win or lose. They want to pick from who they already have predetermined ahead of time. And what that means is, in this case, Sosa is a guy they like a lot. It comes down to how does Sosa win the fight up against how does the main event finish or second fight in the card or first fight. And with a few fighters, they're not even on the radar. <laughs> Let's be honest. And I think Polo Enrique is one of those guys. I do not believe for a second he's actually on the radar. Nope. A matter of fact, if he were to win the fight and even maybe get a finish, no contract. Not going to happen. Just not the guy. For Sosa, he needs a finish. No question. That is part of the deal here. But if he gets a finish, for example... Nice fashion. Everything else falls in line. He gets a contract. Decision win for him. It depends on the main event with Demir, everything else. So I know I'm talking about a lot of variables here. And I'm also now off topic of the fight itself. Paulo Enrique is the longer fighter. He has the distance advantage. He has striking speed. A nice jab. Works well at distance. He's from Brazil. He also has ground skills. Has submission skills. This is all about script. Okay, so... Not meaning that it's a setup fighter, it's fixed. I'm not saying that. It's about the matchmaking, what the PFL wants to see. They want to see Manel Sosa win the fight. Comes down to how does he win. So for Sosa, it's like one of three scenarios. Either he gets upset here, complete loss, 
terrible. Comes out probably the big favorite. We don't have the lines yet available, but probably a big favorite, right? Minus, like, let's say 300, minus 250, around that range. He drops the ball. PFL style. Or he gets a finish inside two rounds, does what he should do here, and looks positive, awesome, you know. Or number three scenario is he gets a decision win. It's closer than it should be. No contract. Doesn't fulfill the potential of this matchup. Walks away, you know, unfulfilled. But it's scenario two, getting a finish within two rounds. He gives himself a chance to get a contract. He knows that. They know that. His corner knows that. I expect within two rounds, Sosa wins the fight. That's our prediction. That's our breakdown. For those who like Paulo Enrique, I get it. Taller, longer, probably has the better striking technique based upon what we saw in film. We give him that. But in close, Sosa is a he's a wrestler. He's built like a wrestler. He's stocky. He's going to give Enrique problems there. Dirty boxing of Sosa is going to be an advantage. Takedown offense, top control, eventually finding his opportunity, whether by submission or by TKO, Within two rounds, Sosa's our pick. Let's move on. All righty, we're up to the main event. It's going to be Elvin Espinoza, the Nicaraguan fighter, versus Demir Ferhatbegovic. I'm going to do the best I can with that. I'm just going to call him Demir moving forward. That way I don't butcher his name too much. So Demir is from Bosnia, 6-2-1 overall, 3-1-1 his last five fights. Espinoza is undefeated at 7-0. To give you the pick right now to get out the way, we are going to go with Demir to win the fight by a very close, even potentially split decision. That's sort of where we're leaning towards. As for the particulars of these two fighters, Elvin, again, undefeated, now based out of Miami, Florida, 30 years old, 5'9 in height with a 74-inch reach, and he trains out of Round 5 MMA. Never heard of that gym. Kind of a cool name, though, for a gym. As for the Bosnian fighter who goes by the Bosnian Barncat, kind of a long nickname, uh, Kind of cool, though, too. You know, barn cat, like a farm animal, farm cat, that type of thing. Anyway, 6-2-1 overall, now based out of Knoxville, Tennessee, training out of Shield Systems MMA, 28 years old, 5'11", so about two inches taller. No reaching around him. Having watched him fight, he's a little bit more stocky. I would be surprised if maybe even his reach is not the same as Elvin, even though he's taller. Maybe even Elvin has a little bit of an advantage in the reach department. Okay, let's get to our analysis here. All right, so it's 155 pounds, right? All the fights are 155. For Demir, we like him to win by split decision, and that's obviously a very bold prediction, specifically a split. But when you look at the analysis here, we went back and forth. Our initial analysis had us on the side of Elvin Espinosa because of the wrestling. The two wins are already in the PFL. There's some things we're going to talk about. But then after going through everything again, it just seems like Demir has some advantages, and if he could just do just enough to defend himself, should get himself the win. Anyway, we did go back and forth. Let's look at Elvin first. So Elvin has two wins in the PFL already. That is a big, like, positive sign for him. He fought last year in the PFL, and then he fought the year before. 2021, got a submission in round one. PFL debut, awesome, right? Comes back last year, 2022. Gets a decision win. Crowd's booing at the end of the, at the, end of the fight. It wasn't very exciting. He did a lot of cage pushing. Not successful takedowns. I think he got maybe one or two takedowns the entire fight. But and that was against Jackson. But what he did do a lot of was just basically cage pushing, position control. The commentators were saying they weren't sure who won the fight. Um, I thought he won. It wasn't pretty. And then the crowd was booing a little bit. So that's the fight he's coming off of last year. 
And I also want to mention, PFL's now seen him for, what, 365 days a year now, back-to-back years, two years. They've see, they know what they have in him. It's my theory that it's Demir they have their eyes on when you, when you compare these two. They already know what they have in Elvin. I think Elvin's the one they're recycling, and it's Demir is the prospect that actually the PFL is looking at. So in addition to Espinosa's undefeated record, he also went 6-2 and two as an amateur, which gives him a good amount of experience, not just a seven, obviously, pro fight. He lost as an amateur to a guy named Taiwan Claxton. If you don't know the name, Taiwan Claxton fights in Bellator. Matter of fact, has had his entire nine-fight pro career in Bellator, where he's currently 6-3. and three. Pretty good fighter. And he lost to Claxton, I believe, by decision as an amateur. So good competition, even as an amateur. Espinosa is a durable fighter, never been finished as an amateur or a pro, and um, he's got good wrestling. Now, the wrestling emphasized good. He may not get a lot of takedowns, and he may spend the entire time looking for just one takedown, but it's the effort to keep trying, and it's the cardio to back it up and, and keep giving an effort to try to get your opponent down. Some fighters will try a few takedowns. They can't get it. They give up. Not with him. He'll keep he'll keep trying. He'll keep leaning on you. And eventually he'll look to, in essence, wear out his opponent or just break them down from a patient standpoint to like, all right, fine, we'll go to the ground. Um, and that's what he wants to do. Now, in the process of doing all this, it's not pretty. <laughs> it slows down the fight. He's holding on to guys. He's leaning on them. We could see the referee stand in a few times and break it up if he doesn't do enough with it. For Espinosa's record, if you look on Tapology, look at his just past fights, you see a high finish rate. It's a little misleading, though. It's our interpretation, based upon watching that last fight especially, and you're only as good as your last fight, even though you can't read too much into it, but based upon that last fight, we don't see the finishing ability that he displayed in the regional scene transferring over here to the PFL or Bellator or UFC or Ryzen or any of the higher levels because... Again, the sample size was small, but looking at his last fight, it just seems very difficult to us imagine a way where he's going to be getting knockouts and submission wins um, in this kind of climate. So with that said, that's another reason why we see the fight going to decision. Because with Demir, he's also another fighter who tends to go to decision, not much of a knockout artist uh, himself. Anyway, we have doubts about Espinosa's finishing ability. We just talked about it. I gave you some reasons why. He needs to, do- he needs to get the fight to the ground, period. If the fight's on the feet, and not just on the feet, but at range, that's where he's going to have a hard time. You've seen him in prior fights. He can get clipped. He can get hurt on the feet when it's at range. On the feet against the fence, that's still his milieu. That's where he wants to be, pushing his opponent up against the fence, leaning on them, ugly boxing. That's what he's looking for. Out in space, doesn't have the volume or technique or even just striking defense. Guards very wide open, easy to hit, leans back to avoid punches instead of you know moving side to side. Let's talk about the Bosnian fighter, Demir. So for Demir ending this fight, looking for his fifth win in a row, if you don't count the draw. He had a draw a few fights ago, a technical draw. Well, technically, I'm not going to count it, all right? So he's looking for his fifth win in a row. He was submitted by Luis Pena, and then after that, Jonathan Pierce. Back-to-back fights in 2017. I bring up those names because Pena was in the UFC. He was holding his own, got cut due to outside of the octagon, domestic violence-related issues. For Jonathan Pierce... He is in the UFC. He is on a nice winning streak. Um, I think five-fight winning streak right now for Pierce. Looks tremendous. Looks good. So those are the two guys that Zamir lost to. Quality losses. And if Pena didn't get cut for his antics outside the octagon, he probably would still be in the UFC. That's UFC caliber guys. Both of them, right? All right. The only downsides that we see for Demir in those fights are the fact that he got submitted. All right. Experience-wise, check. Uh, losing to guys that are pretty good, check. But submission defense is something that 
he has to be aware of. In this fight, we got to bring back Espinoza. Espinoza has six submission victories when you combine his pro and amateur career. And a matter of fact, in the pros alone, of his seven wins, almost half are by submission. Three, to be exact. Just saying, he likes to get back control. Demir will have to be careful he doesn't give up his back to a guy like this who that's what he does, you know, the best. While the fight is standing up, Demir should have a clear-cut, distinct striking advantage. Faster hands, better combinations, commits more to combinations. Espinosa is a one-punch-at-a-time type, one type of fighter. And if he throws a flurry, it's usually just a distraction to just go and dive in for a takedown. The question here for Demir is, can he keep the fight standing? Can he keep his back off the fence? If he can do those two things, he probably has a path to victory, though it still may look ugly. And we're still going to have moments where Espinosa will be pushing him against the fence, dirty boxing, close rounds, commentators like, I don't know. And this is all reasons why we think this can get to a very close decision. We're sticking with Demir, though. So we're going to score cards. Unfortunately for Demir, or even for Espinosa, whoever wins this fight by a decision or split decision, that probably won't be enough. Uh, to earn a contract, I emphasize probably because I do think Demir is a prospect that PFL has their eye on, but we're going to imagine there's going to be three of the fights on the card. Somewhere there should be some finishes, some kind of fireworks. For Demir, he's not a big-time finisher either. thing is he's paired with a guy who it won't make it easy to get a nice finish or won't make it easy to have a, a nice, exciting fight. And any fighter would tell you, you're only as good as your partner at times. Like, whoever you're dancing with they have to cooperate to make it a good show and in the case of this guy um mr espinoza that's not really his style he's looking to just make it ugly grind you up it'll be on demir to do a good job of keeping a distance and making a more exciting fight anyway for demir he needs a dominant win to earn a contract decision win just won't cut it especially a split decision win the betting spots we like the most of this fight are the over two and a half rounds Espinoza by submission. I know that's against uh, our pick, but should be juicy. And then Demir by decision. If your book offers the split decision prop, put a sprinkle on it. I really feel like this fight's going to be pretty close. If they offer the submission submission prop for Espinoza and it's in the, uh, let's say, plus 350 to plus 400 or greater, take a stab at it. And I just say if because the last few weeks we haven't had a lot of prop bets available through DraftKings, which is our main a partner for placing bets on mixed martial arts, but it is what it is. Anyway, that's the breakdown for this fight. It should be the last fight on the card or the main event here for week number quattro of the PFL Challenger Series. We're going with Demir to win by a split decision. And here we are at the end of the breakdown. I'm going to give you a quick summary of the picks we like to win and their methods of victory. Starting at the top, we like Demir for Hatsa Begovic to win by a split decision. Manel Sosa to win by decision. Anthony Romero to win by decision. And Charlie Decker to win by decision. Now, the math will tell you someone probably gets a finish here, but keep in mind, it's 155 pounders, and most of them, their resumes are strong decision win type of resumes. We probably still see a finish. I mentioned before, we've got some guys in this car that some cardio issues. So cardio could play a part, not not a traditional knockout, not someone getting hurt from a punch to the head, just someone possibly just getting so, so fatigued and balling up and they can't fight back. But that's your full breakdown for PFL week number four. Thank you for joining us. If I haven't told you already to do so, please like and subscribe. And some more promo information for you guys. If you don't know already, we do a write-up for this card. So if you go down below here on YouTube, look at our description. You're going to see there's a link there for our Substack newsletter. If there's one thing you do today, subscribe to our newsletter. Number one, it's free. Entirely free. No spam, no bullshit. We don't send you advertisements. 
We send you one or two emails per week. It's the full card breakdown and bet tip sheet. That's for all UFC, Bellator, PFL, and Invicta events. Pretty simple. Go down below. Click the link, subscribe to our Substack newsletter. That's an awesome newsletter. We usually also put in our newsletter the links to our breakdown videos. So you get a link in the video to this breakdown like this. You get a link in there to our Google Drive to look at the raw breakdown notes. We give you notes in Google Drive, word format. You can download it, nice and simple. Full breakdown of each fighter, their pros, their cons, basic information about the fighter. So that's the Google Drive notes, Substack newsletter, like our channel, follow our channel. And then on our social media outlets, so you've got TikTok, uh, Instagram, Twitter, <laughs> follow us, track us. We put all information out there 100% for free. We need your support. It's your ability to just go over and click that like button, subscribe. By doing so, that's how you support the channel. That's how you support our content, and we greatly appreciate that. So with that said, guys, thank you for joining us. That's your wrap-up here for PFL El Cuatro, number four, week number four the lightweights for the Challenger Series. We'll see you guys soon. Deuces.